0: Every single book was written by like 50-year-old white man. And I had never noticed that before. I've been going on this bookstore for so long. And I was like, how did I never notice this? This is insane. And then they had a section, one section in the back, and it was their diversity and inclusion section. And that had the women, people of other backgrounds. And I was just shocked. And I looked up the statistics, and it is sad. It still is the majority Over 60% of books are published by, you know, men over the age of 45, usually white men.
1: Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores
2: the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences.
1: Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora. I am so excited about today's show. It's going to be a little bit different. We're going to shake things up by bringing on a guest host. Some of you might remember Tracy DeForge. She is the founder and CEO of Produce Your Podcast. And she was the host of the True Fiction Project in its very first episode, episode one, a while ago at this point. She interviewed me in that particular episode to really set the stage for our listeners to explain to them what the premise of the True Fiction Project was about. So I'm thrilled to welcome her back today because she is going to be interviewing Dr. Marissa Schwartz, who is the founder and CEO of Gen Z Publishing, I am just thrilled to say that these are my publishers. They are publishing my book, Operation Mom, My Plan to Get My Mother a Life and a Man. It's coming out in August. I am completely thrilled and excited. And without further ado, I would love to throw it over to Tracy and Dr. Marissa.
3: Thanks, Renita. Um, it's so fun to be back on the True Fiction Project podcast, which is, you know, I'm not supposed to pick favorites among our portfolio at Producer Podcast. So you're supposed to love all your children the same. But can I just say for the record that this might be my favorite for so many reasons. And one of those reasons is the absolute never-ending fountain of creativity that you always bring to the mic, to your writing, to everything that you do. You put such a magnificent creative spin on everything. And Operation Mom is absolutely no exception to that. I had the luxury and the benefit of getting a sneak peek behind the scenes of Operation Mom. And to be able to be here today and talk with Marissa around the publishing of the book and the journey around Operation Mom is just incredibly fun for me. I I'm such an advocate for women and creativity and to be able to be on this podcast with two just powerhouse women is just in itself such a fun thing. So thanks for inviting me to guest host this episode and welcome Dr. Marissa Schwartz. Um, Speaking of women empowerment and just kicking things off with this, everything about this creativity, this book, this uh, life of creative women, tell us a little bit about your journey for a moment. Let's get to know you and your journey to Gen Z publishing.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Tracy. First of all, this is absolutely awesome. This is, you know, I've published about 125 books at this point, but I've never done something like this where, you know, it, it's a, a podcast and a show like this. This is the coolest thing. I'm really excited to be here. And it, it's a special moment, it really is. But a little bit about me is um, I actually started out in the biomedical sciences. So I graduated from the Academy for Allied Health and Biomedical Sciences. But, you know, towards my like junior and senior year, I noticed uh, or would catch myself rushing through my labs, rushing through my science work to write my own books and to edit books. And I was freelance editing and writing at the time. And that was when I realized, you know, I stick to my commitments. I'm going to graduate from this school, but I don't think I want to stick to medicine. I I think I have this passion for writing and literature. So um, that's what I did. I wound up publishing my first book, I self-published it. Then I went with a traditional publisher, published my next book through them. And uh, once I learned enough about the industry, I bootstrapped and started my own book publishing company. And I was fortunate that I was going through grad school at the time because I was able to have great resources, build my team from like-minded individuals who are in similar programs. And um, that's how I you know, built up my company over the past six years. I was just appointed to the IBPA, that's the International Book Publishers Association, their executive board and their editorial board. So I'm happy that that's another way I'm able to give back to the writing community and the publishing community. I was just named one Forbes 30 Under 30, which is an honor to me. It was in their media category for the work that Gen Z has done with our books. Uh, and as part of that, I get to contribute to Forbes and entrepreneurs. So I've been able to write uh, articles that people see, which is really, really cool through those platforms. And I also am a mentor to women through the women's center for entrepreneurship, which is part of the SBA. Where I'm really excited to help small business owners grow their businesses, help them with their marketing and and teach courses on social media and all that fun stuff, because that's something nowadays in order to be a successful author or publisher or really business owner in general, you need to know marketing and social media and all that fun stuff. So I've uh, really honed in on those skills to help my clients and the ladies at the WCEC and our authors, of course.
3: That is so fantastic. And world, she is just getting started. 30 under 30. I mean, I can't even imagine what's in store for you going forward. That's so exciting. And then it makes so much sense to me. I I don't even know if I need to ask another question as to why the two of you have gotten together, Renita and Marissa, because so many like-minded synergies, so many positive traits in common. But what I really love and wanted to spotlight, because with True Fiction Project, one of the things that has always been so powerful and the impact that it makes is that it's all about mentoring other writers, and that's one of the things when Renita and I worked together to concept and develop the show that was so important to Renita in terms of how the show was created, how it was concepted, and how it was executed. And then to hear about you not only just launching and running your own publishing business while you're studying such a, you know, really low-stress aspect, (laughs) what bioengineering or, wow, sciences, and being and taking the time and making it a priority for you to mentor other women along the way on their journey. So Kudos to you. And again, just so happy to meet you and get to know you and have you be here. With Operation Mom, I want to just start out by saying that we all need a lift in life. Some comedic humor is so important as we've gone globally through this pandemic and in still some ways dealing with the effects and the after effects of it, one of the things we noticed in podcasting, Marissa, was that the amount of listenership for comedy podcasts and narrative fiction podcasts actually grew exponentially during the pandemic and since the pandemic. So I'm really excited that Operation Mom is going to be put out into the world. And I can't really even say it any better than the way Renita said it. It's about getting your mom a life and a man. And just the tagline alone makes me laugh, right? Like, cause we've probably all been in that kind of situation, even with, even if our parents are still married, mine I've been married 60 something years. And I think my mom's still wishes she could get herself a different man. So. <laughs> but at the same time, just this whole idea of bringing this comedic perspective, but also this real life perspective of, you know, dealing with mom and daughter relationships and other types of relationships. What was one of the deciding factors for you as you were reviewing Operation Mom for publishing? What was one of the things that made you decide that this was the book that you wanted to put out under your brand?
0: Yeah, there are several things. You know, the first is that we like to look at books that are different, that aren't a story that's been told. The closest thing I could think of to this book is The Parent Trap, which was a classic, you know, for my friends and I growing up, my friend and I were just talking about last week, like, oh, remember that classic, The Parent Trap? And it's quite different from this, but it's the most similar thing I could think. And I think the reason why people love that so much was because it was so unique. So Renita's book is a very unique story. You know, you see sometimes books or stories about parents wanting to set up their kids, but it's very rare that you see the opposite way. And it's very honest and, of course, humorous. My favorite genre of book is humor. So I, I'm a little bit biased when I get a book with uh, you know, th- this kind of tone. I love it. But yeah, the main thing that stood out to me was just the unique story, um, the, the forward thinkingness of it. And of course, it's it's funny. It's, it has a, a great, there's a great story and personality behind the book.
3: Oh, there's no doubt about that. And then really even drilling that down a little bit more specifically, and I love the reference to Parent Trap. And I am almost wondering, like, am I the do I know the real classic and you are calling the reboot the classic? Like I'm starting to feel like I might be a hundred because I think there was an original and a reboot, but I'm not hundred percent sure, but we've got a lot of great reboots out there right now. Top Gun, you know, it's all about that. But yeah, Parent Trap, such a great metaphoric similarity, but taking that though, and, and really targeting that younger audience demographic. Tell us how this story is relatable and especially to American young adult audiences and bringing that piece into it. So taking that from the bigger audience reach, like you were talking about, and then drilling that down a little bit more into the American young adult audience. Why do you think Operation Mom is going to connect so well with
0: them? Well, there are a few aspects to it. The first, I think, is the relationship aspect between parent and child. Clearly, you know... I don't know if, say, 50, 60 years ago, a book like this could have been written. Back then, generally, the parent-child relationship was, you know, what the parent says goes, that's it. Uh, For this book to work, you need to have a good relationship between parents and children, a, a friendliness, you know, like. My mom would always joke when I was growing up. Oh, we're best friends. Her father wouldn't do that with her with with them. It was very strict what I say goes so in Renita's book, there's this friendliness to it and this relationship of like the children feeling comfortable enough with, you know, the parents to act like this to, you know, really care for them and be looking to help. So I think I really admire that. I love that, that there's that, that closeness and that true care and empathy that you get from a parent-child relationship that is, of course, a traditional parent-child, but also like a, a friendship. Uh, and I love seeing that in a book and that you don't see a relationship like that. You know, you see it more now in modern fiction, but it is still a relatively new thing. I think it's awesome. The more that we represent that, the more people will see it and normalize it and be like, oh, I, I can be friends with my children. We can have a friendly relationship.
3: Well, and I think both culturally and just um, in traditional sense of parent-child relationships that – it's typically the parents that are trying to get the match for the children, right? And so this actually has a little bit of a different twist on that because it's the child trying to get the match for the parent. So that's, I think, a pretty unique twist just in itself, but especially culturally for this particular book. Would you agree? Oh,
0: absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah, that's the big twist for sure. Yeah, and I love that. I love that part of it and the closeness, the the relationship between the parent and the child just to be able to do that.
3: Well, and then even with Operation Mom 2, I think expanding past just the parent-child relationships is also, there's some also really amazing character development within the book of other characters who play a strong role, not only just in the story, but also in really showcasing the different types of family relationship. So could you speak of somewhat about how building these strong female characters, how that's important in the publishing world today and connecting with the audience today?
0: Yeah, I grew up in my, I'll, I'll say like in my teenage years, and I thought, oh, man, I just relate better to guys. I, I uh, every one of my favorite characters is a male character. I, I guess I'm just a guys girl until I realized that all the characters that I saw were guys. Every female character in everything that I watched, they were always like supporting characters. So it wasn't so much that I was a guy's girl and that I prefer guys. It was that there was not that representation. And it wasn't until I got into my 20s and now we see characters more frequently. There are strong female characters. And I realized, oh, that's a great character. I can relate to that. And I'm glad that the children growing up today are growing up with at least more female or strong female characters than I grew up with and a book like this definitely shows how you know you can have a strong female character that you relate to and i think that that's super important so that you have people realizing that women can be just as strong and empowered as men or anybody else and you know representation is so important yeah i actually had this conversation with uh, my best friend and she said the same thing she's like yeah i always thought oh i just relate better to guys no it's because we didn't have representation and if those characters were women females probably would have related to them just as much or even more.
3: I think that is such an interesting perspective. And looking back on what you were saying, I feel exactly the same way, but I just didn't know what I didn't know because I always thought, well, I'm just better friends with guys or I just connect better with, especially in the entrepreneurial role. My identities, because I was born in 19, I've never said my birth year out live on a podcast, but that's okay. It's relevant to the topic here. But in 1968 is when I was born and I always fashioned my career trajectory, even young, after what my dad was doing versus what my mom was doing. She was a lovely stay-at-home mother, but there was something inside of me from a really young age that was like, I am going to run my own business. And I even elected not to take typing because I was like, I'm going to have people for that because I'm going to be running a business. <laughs> so that, unfortunately, was not my best decision. I took drama instead. But I, uh, I that was before we knew how important keyboards were going to be for the rest of our lives. But my whole point in saying that is that I've never actually connected those dots. I think that's such a poignant perspective that you're sharing is that, you know, there's a certain generation above the generation now who our only connectivity was either men who were doing what it was that we wanted to do in the world or maybe a small subset of women who were just like breaking the glass ceiling, but not necessarily in a way that we wanted to pattern ourselves after. So what a wonderful secondary dimension of impact, if you will, Renita, for this book that is so incredibly powerful. Thank you just for even bringing it to light in that way. Love that.
1: Oh, it's just honest to the core. What can I say, Tracy? It's (laughs) <laughs> All these things that you and, you know, Marissa have been talking about in just to touch sort of on the setting of the story culturally. I grew up in Mumbai, India. I grew up in a time where similar to you, you know, my, my dad made me take shorthand and typing during the summer holidays. And I was like, what is this nonsense? I'm just wasting my day, wasting away. <laughs> You know, and I've always had these sort of very strong, very zany and highly neurotic women in my family, you know, present company included, I'll admit. But there's nothing wrong with a little bit of uh neurosis, you know, it just <laughs> makes it It's world kind go a driving
3: wrong. force for some. It can absolutely be a driving force for some.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in honesty lies great comedy. That I have discovered. So <laughs>
3: I could not have said it better in such and so factual as well. And this is a laugh out loud book. I mean it is a literal LOL book. And that unique comedy perspective and like you were saying pulling from your literal experience of growing up in Mumbai And I think, you know, it goes without saying, but I am going to reiterate that not only are we seeing the ability to find role models and like-minded connections in the female characters themselves, but then we also have this next layer of relatability where other girls, young adults, women who are connecting with the book and that are from the same background as you, Anita, can also see themselves literally in those characters. And I think that that's something that has been so important, especially in publishing and in film and media, everything across the board is being able to expand characters and the types of people who are casting characters, both written and visually on film and podcasts and storytelling, to have that, not someone who's playing the role of somebody from Mumbai, but having someone be from Mumbai, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think this is a good point you touch on, Tracy, because so much of how we define diversity and diversity in publishing, and I'd be curious to, you know, Dr. Marissa's view on this, and diversity in media is, Oh, the characters must be diverse, but they must be American characters, right? She could be ethnically Asian or ethnically Indian or whatever, but she must be here and rooted here. Otherwise, how are we going to bring the audiences in? To me, specifically, diversity crosses boundaries. It crosses borders. It gives you a window into another culture or just a mindset or the way a character might think if they were an immigrant or are of immigrant parents or grew up somewhere else or were somewhere else, you know, that's diversity too. Very, very much so. And I was really impressed with Gen Z Publishing specifically because when their editors reviewed my manuscript, they picked up on stuff which was really pertinent from a language point of view, from what kind of language you can use for the young adult point of view. And there was a lot of stuff well, there was stuff in the manuscript which completely flies if it's going to be published in Asia or in India, but would not fly if it were published here. And they picked up on that and reviewed it with me and really went through the effort of detailing that and explaining why. And I really appreciated that because that only came from Gen Z. It didn't come from anybody else who reviewed my manuscript. So I'd love to ask Dr. Marissa you know, about her views on... What is diversity in publishing and specifically young adult publishing?
0: Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I went to Pennsylvania. I've been going to the same bookstore there. I go up there every year. And the last time I went, you know, I've literally been going there since I was like three years old. The last time I went, I looked at the books and I noticed here's a white old man, like 50 years old. Like every single book was written by like 50 year old white man. And I had never noticed that before. I've been going to this bookstore for so long. And I was like... This is how did I never notice this? This is insane. And then they had a section, one section in the back, and it was their diversity and inclusion section. And that had the women, people of other backgrounds. I was just shocked. And I looked up the statistics and it is sad. It still is the majority. Over 60% of books are published by, you know, men over the age of 45, usually white men, and it's not very diverse. I think it's because a lot of publishers don't want to take a gamble, but even so, even with the more diverse books, they're not always written by people who've experienced it or experienced the things that they're writing about, but it's so important. Uh, You know, not everybody can afford to travel the world or not everybody has the time or, or anything like that, but books are what allow you to understand. And, you know, some people say, Oh, we have the internet. I'll just go on a website and, you know, do a virtual tour or wherever that's good. But a book, gives you that real perspective. You know, if you're watching a TikTok video of let's say somebody talking about what it's like to live in another country, it's a different experience than spending four hours reading their words and really living that experience through their eyes. Uh, I I love that books can do that. You know, it's not a cliche or it is a cliche, but it's not an exaggeration when people say, you know, you live many lifetimes through books and it's because it, it is the best way to experience something through another person's eyes. And uh, it's unfortunate that the publishing industry hasn't necessarily caught up and doesn't always see that. I do see them making better strides, uh, you know, with the IBPA, I was just appointed to their board. The first book that they assigned me to read is about anti-racism. So that's definitely a step in the right direction. But I would love to see bookstores that are much more diverse and that don't have, you know, 90% of their bookshelves just written by one subset of person. I would love to see many more experiences because that's just going to help us all be more well-rounded.
3: Well, and there's no doubt your journey and your path is going to make significant impact on that and with Operation Mom along. Side that journey, that's, you know, a double impact. So again, just another powerful reason as to why I can see the two of you align so well together. And I also want to expand that past because, you know, we're hearing so much about like the authors themselves and the types of books that are being written and the whole connectivity point there. But I really liked what you were saying in terms of the... In radio and in podcasting, we use the term theater of the mind because when you are being involved in storytelling, it just opens up your imagination so much more to be able to envision that on your own, right? And so to hear you bring up the comparison of someone talking on a TikTok video versus reading the book, I wanted to drill that down a little bit further into the specific commitment of Gen Z in general to storytelling, it really feels like that with the advances in some of the social media platforms and with podcasting in general in terms of really opening up, I mean, that that actually has brought this generation back to an imaginative process with reading, with listening, with storytelling. How do you feel That Gen Z's like the commitment to just storytelling in general. Do you feel like that Gen Z is going to kind of re innovate storytelling? And is this book really
0: speak to that as well? Yeah, I mean, we certainly hope to make an impact. I always want to make a positive impact on the literary world and, you know, our art reflects our world and vice versa. So I hope that through spreading, you know, literature, the, the art of literature and, and our books and the messages in those books, we can make a positive impact. You know, I'm not delusional in thinking that, you know, every single person in the world is going to read our book. But if a small fraction does, and those people, uh, you know, it's like a ripple effect, they learn something and they pass that on to others. That's a huge win. That's, that's what we want. Well, and
3: for those of you who might be listening to the True Fiction Project for the very first time, you want to make sure that you listen all the way through this episode because you're going to actually have the gift of hearing Renita read her, from her actual book as um, part of this podcast episode, which I think is, you know, in itself, you know, when do you ever really have the opportunity to not only discover such a beautifully culturally diverse book with a comedic perspective and a mother-daughter relationship, but then actually get to hear the author read her own material in that way. So another thing to make sure that you listen more for. But, you know, I want to transition a little bit away from the content of the book so much and just really talk about the reach of the book. And we were talking slightly about multimedia formats in terms of TikTok and social media and the whole idea that storytelling can carry through audio storytelling and other areas. What do you see for Operation Mom? What other formats would you like to see the story go? And I'd, I'd love to hear that from you, Marissa, first, but then I'd also want to hear, Renita, your vision as well. Where is Operation Mom's, like, where is
0: it going to go? I mean, ideally... I don't know about you, Renee. I would love to see it turn into a film or a, a television show. Our youngest author, Isabella Strickland, reached a deal about a year ago. She's having her book turn into a show. So that's always an ultimate. Like, that's awesome. But even on a smaller scale, I mean, we've had books purchased by school districts where every child in the school district reads their book. So uh, we have a book, uh, two books actually, by Dr. Audrey Cuff, and she works in the Jersey City school systems. They purchased. Each of her books and every student in those school systems read her books and her books also deal with diversity and the issues that, you know, children in certain schools and in like a place like Jersey City, some of the issues and things that they go through. And those children reading that book, you know, they saw themselves, they saw people like themselves represented in a book that they hadn't previously seen before. So it's really uh, the opportunities like that are super exciting. And I hope that we can do things like that for Renita.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Dr. Marissa. I could not agree more. I would love to see this story go places because it is so fun. And of course, I'm biased. I think it's fun. But (laughs) what's been great is that anyone who has come across it will willingly and wantingly come to me and tell me how much fun they are having reading it or, you know, investigating it. And that's what really tells me, okay, this is a story that works for more than just me, (laughs) and it should go places. So theater of the mind, audio is what I know and love. I would love to see it go places in audio. Tracy, I just had a really exciting conversation earlier this week with someone who, again, has fallen in love with the story, and she's like, I could see this in four languages. I was like, really? four languages? I know. She said, yeah, I mean, if I had the opportunity to do it, I would do it in English, Hindi, Hinglish, and Spanish, and then maybe Spanglish, which would be a fifth, but Spanish. So I was like, wow, I I hadn't even thought about that. And then I do have, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time in Southern California, in Malibu, and I have someone who's fallen in love with the story, guess what? And she is really pushing me hard to think about writing a screenplay for Operation Mom, but setting it here in the U.S. Yes!
3: (laughs) Well, I I I want it on the big screen. I I just, you know, I'm just going to say... You didn't ask me, but I'm going to say, I'm going to ask myself, what do I want to see for Operation Mom? I want to go to the movies. I want to get popcorn. I want to get soda. I want to get candy. I want to sit in the comfy lounge recliner movie chairs, and I want to watch Operation Mom on the big screen. Can we manifest that right now today? Let's make that
1: happen. (laughs) Let's manifest it. I think we got a great team here, a great operational team to get Operation Mom comedy show on the road. So yeah, I'm all for manifesting. (laughs)
3: Well, in the meantime, before we get to the big screen, because we know it's coming... Where can people find the book and get connected to the book, to you, Renita? Like, how can we go ahead and start building this massive following so when Paramount knocks on the door, you can say, hey, well, here's where we are so far. So how can we find this book and get connected? And are there going to be events and book signings? And like, how can we just get this party
0: started? Amazon is probably the easiest place for pre-order uh, on there. Also, Barnes Noble's website. Really, wherever books are sold online, social media as well. And you know, as far as book signings, we love doing book signings here. We did so many pre-COVID, and we are finally excited to get back into in-person book signings. But we always love doing opportunities like this and online book events as well. I'm sure we'll have a lot of those with Renita.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Marissa and Gen Z Publishing for helping me with all of that. One of the most exciting things about the time right now coming out of COVID, I know we've been saying this, we've been saying it for a while, but I think actually happening. And what that means is I am planning to get on the road, go where I can, work with Gen Z, contact those indie bookstores, do the book signings. Tracy, you know, I mean, you'd have to just say, okay, enough, stop talking, now please leave. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, one thing I know, do know about you, Renita, is no grass grows under your feet in any way, shape, or form because you Uh-oh. are in constant motion, <laughs> which is one of the things that I adore about you. And if you want to connect with Renita more, so hopefully she's going to be coming to a city near you to an indie bookstore near you. And there's nothing I love more on the planet, by the way, than an indie bookstore. So I might just follow you around like your biggest fan. Like can, maybe like I could be the president of the Operation Mom Renita Fan Club, and I could go, you know. the indie book signings too with you. But if you want to connect with Renita, please go to Renita, R-E-E-N-I-T-A dot com. And there's an amazing newsletter. You're going to get updates through that. You're going to get further updates around True Fiction Project and all the writers and stories and narratives that she's mentoring. But just connect with Renita there because she's doing big, fun, amazing things. And Dr. Marissa, if someone was hearing this, and they're inspired to send you their manuscript. Like, how can people get in touch
0: with you? Yeah, so we have a uh, publishing.org. We have a place to send your queries uh, right on our website. It's just our query tab. And then, you know, we're on every social media platform. So Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok. I have accounts under all of them as both Marissa Schwartz and Gen Z Publishing. And just for you guys listening, Marissa is spelled
3: M-O-R-I-S-S-A so we want to make sure we get that and all of this will be in the show notes so we've given you a lot of great information today we want to make sure that you are connecting so you will be able to pre-order the book through the show notes you'll be able to connect with Dr. Marissa you'll be able to connect further with Renita but for now I say let's let the true fiction begin right Renita?
1: (laughs) Absolutely and uh, stay tuned for what's coming up next And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. And now I'm going to read an excerpt from my new novel, Operation Mom, My Plan to Get My Mother a Life and a Man. In this particular scene, we see Ila hanging out with her mom, Vina, and you really get a sense of their relationship, what it's like to be the daughter of an obsessive mom, and maybe a little bit of the other way around too, what it's like to be the mom of an insistent daughter. Household has way more female energy than the average apartment in Mumbai is designed to handle, which is one reason why Pops may have willingly left when he did. So I typically make myself scarce until the evening junk food snack time, the Bhel puri hour, six o'clock, by which time Mom has more or less switched off for the day. I decided to wait until after dinner before I dropped the groupie bomb. I knew that by then she'd have showered and settled down to a good book or some TV show. I tiptoed my way to the veranda to find mom and her nostalgia sprawled out on the couch with a crossword puzzle, the early tunes of Latamangeshkar echoing in the background. See, this is the thing with mom. Nobody really cares if there's a difference between the early and then the mature voice talent of the lady who is known as the Nightingale of India. Yet mom insists that Lata lost the innocence in her voice after 1976. By then the nightingale had already seen the light of day, she says. Now, Dipali, queen of trivia, actually insisted that on more than one occasion, nightingales also sing during the day. But mom says that's besides the point. She refuses to hear any of it, neither the discussion on nightingales, nor somebody debating her views on Lata's post-1976 tunes. Oh, gosh. See what I have to deal with? Anyway, back to the scene at the homestead. It was the perfect time to test the waters. Ali Zafar comes to town in a few weeks and I am going to his concert. I announced to Mom over Lata's songbird Melody. Mom looked up from her paper. Her glasses perched on the tip of her nose in a granny stance. What was that? Ali Zafar comes to town, I began repeating like a broken record. Yes, I heard you the first time and the answer is no. That was it. She said it and returned to her crossword. So, yeah, you heard me the first time, then why did you even ask? Her reaction was predictable. So was the fact that she could give no logical reason to support her statement. So, of course, I decided to press it further. Mum. I didn't ask you a question. I made an announcement. In this house, there will be no announcements, she said without looking up. Why not? Because. Because? No response. Mum, I asked you a question. What do you want me to say? A frown sat on her brows, although her eyes were still focused on the crossword. I'd like you to say anything that could possibly support your decision to not support my decision to go to Ali Zafar's concert. It's inappropriate. She scrunched up her face. Mom, I'm 17. Besides, how is Ali Zafar inappropriate? The guy is known for his squeaky clean persona. He's not like Lady Gaga half-naked and devouring human flesh on stage. Mum grunted from behind her paper and I decided to take it up a notch. What's inappropriate is the fact that you are so out of touch with the appropriateness of Ali Zafar's brand of pop culture. Match point. Mum crushed her paper down on the table. Let me tell you what's appropriate. Okay, I'm waiting. I knew full well that keeping my cool would only irk her. Mum shot me her death stare. Her Punjabi jeans never failed to take over when she was under duress. Do you know how dangerous rock concerts are with druggies and potheads who eve-tease young girls for entertainment? There have been at least five incidents this year. Eve-teasers. Oh my gosh, how I hated those guys. Not just for their acts of public sexual harassment, but also for the fact that their actions had become a topic that fed my mother's paranoia. Actually, Mom, there have only been three incidents. And none of them at rock concerts. I dare say Mom had reason to be concerned. But that wasn't reason enough for me to cede power to her by acknowledging her valid worry. No decent girl goes to rock concerts. Mom, you're so imperious. Well, that's a bummer because this decent girl has already bought the tickets. You what? When? With what money? Mum suddenly sat up tall, her head perfectly aligned with her spine. A flicker of excitement tingled down my spine. I could not, of course, tell her the truth, which is that Dipali had already purchased the tickets for me during uh, the math class online. Um, <clears throat> let's just say it was a present. Mum slapped her hand down on the table so hard that her glasses slid further down her nose. There will be no presents in my house. I pictured Dipali in my head and rolled my eyes like her. There will be no announcements like there will be no presents. Will there ever be anything reasonable or fun around here? My so-called abhorrent teenage behavior apparently infuriated Mum all the more, and she took off her glasses and began to wring her hands in frustrated agony. Listen, young lady. "'When I was your age, nobody gave me concert tickets for presents.' "'That's because you didn't go to any concerts. "'And Lord knows you needed them. "'Both the concerts and the presents. "'Ouch!' "'I bit my tongue. "'But it was true. "'Mum hadn't been given enough presents in her life. "'Her presents typically favoured their two sons. "'And Pops had dumped her. "'Oh, was it the other way around? "'I don't know. "'Like I said, both of them have their own version.' But anyway, he had dumped her way too soon by Indian standards. Even in their limited time together, he had never lavished her with presents the way Dipali's dad showered her mother with gift after gift after gift, despite all of their disagreements. And it isn't like she is high maintenance or anything like that. In Mumbai, it's hard to get lower on the maintenance charts than my mother, Veena Isham. She takes what she gets. And you know what? That's not necessarily a good thing.
0: Oh, 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 oh. Wo dekhe ne me kaisi se di sahi lagti <laughs> hai bolti ke wo to kuch nahi samajti. An se kitni tez hai.
1: Here at The True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at Renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com.